and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor of Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Dorian Paik, a bona fide Frankfurt veteran with links to key institutions like Robert Johnson, Cocoon and Freebase Records. He also runs Round Music, a label that's clocked up around a hundred releases from the likes of Ricardo Villalobos and Christian Burkhardt. Paik's seen a lot of trends come and go over the years, and in conversation with Matt Unicomb, he recounts his formative experiences at the Dorian Gray Club before offering an illuminating take on today's dance music climate. As always, you can hear our full archive of exchanges at resonantadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. The Exchange with Dorian Paik is up next. actually from Frankfurt? I am from Frankfurt, yeah. I was born in Frankfurt, yeah, born and raised in Frankfurt. That's where I grew up. Because yeah. I guess it seems like most people, uh, well, a lot of people associated with the Frankfurt scene had moved there from surrounding cities. Like from Manhattan surrounding or- cities or they were living in yeah, in, in suburbs or smaller cities close to Frankfurt. And so, of course, they started going out in, in Frankfurt because it was like the biggest city around. And um, yeah, of course, at that time, also a lot of things and uh, um, stuff was happening in Frankfurt. Yeah, back then was a pretty special time for Frankfurt. House yeah, for the Frankfurt nightlife. I mean, basically, it was, I think, the end of the really... Um, good period in Frankfurt nightlife was the beginning of the 90s yeah by this time it 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 ended already. so you think that so the 80s are even more special than I the think 90s. so yeah like when my parents were going out I think this was really like the 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 peak of of Frankfurt nightlife because you had this club called Dorian Gray in Frankfurt airport and at this time people were really like flying in from from all over Europe just to be able to 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 go to this club and then later by the late 80s early 90s definitely early 90s i think this this period was over so what happened like uh was there a reason because mm, Dorian, i don't yeah. i don't know i think let's say on a on a on a national level still frankfurt was very attractive and people from all over germany would come to to frankfurt for the weekend to go out at least from the cities that were like let's say in a in a 2 hour range of of frankfurt by car let's say from cologne to to stuttgart to mannheim and i don't know every all these cities uh, uh, people on the weekends they just got into their car and they they went to frankfurt uh, and and also in the early 90s you had like three or four clubs playing electronic music uh, and this was for a very very long period until the late 90s I would say so like for a period of at least 10 years you had at least three to five top-notch DJs in Frankfurt every weekend more or less so the clubs everyone probably knows is Dorian Gray Dorian Gray Omen Omen exactly and XS also also you should count in and another one that maybe for people internationally talking is not known so well, but was also quite important at that time was the music hall in Frankfurt. It was another club because also they had a really, really amazing sound system for that period of time and also like a big 
laser show and light show, which still was quite important at, at that time. And uh, so, yeah, this club was also quite famous and um, actually was, I think, also the club where I had my first DJ gig ever, I think. Really? Yeah. How did that go? I got, invi I got invited because at that time I was working at a record shop already. That was in 1992. It was located in the Dorian Gray Club. There was like a little like a little store and um, it was just like the very beginning of of club wear and club fashion and like uh, so you could get like all these fancy like label shirts or, or from this club wear companies like Jive or Shoot which was a German brand or, or I don't know uh, uh, all kinds of, of different companies that were selling uh, a spiral or I think I don't know there was many many different companies at that time when you said club where i was imagining uh fluoro like uh rave yeah rave yeah like proper <laughs> proper baggy stuff huge xxl shirts and beanies and caps and i don't know what because at that time especially in frankfurt you know uh, uh it was um it was quite different you need to dress in a certain way and it was definitely not not so easy to to enter a club with sneakers and stuff like that because people were dressing up quite differently before so with this kicking in of the techno house club culture uh, also this this um, way of dressing changed a lot you know and then you could you could at least like from the look could tell ah okay this is this is also like a like-minded person you know because they were just like all dressing in these funny really funny clothes so yeah do you have any clothes left from that uh, era yeah. Some T-shirts, I think, somewhere in the basement. <laughs> you should wear them again someday. Yeah, maybe <laughs> if I fit, if I fit in there. No, but actually, at that time, I was a bit, a bit more uh, bigger or heavy than now. So, so I think most of them, if I would wear them, they would be quite big, even extra baggy. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So. What clubs did you start? What clubs were you going to? Dorian Gray, obviously. Dorian Gray, yep. because I was working there. But Dorian Gray was more like an, an after-hour club at that time because it was the only club that was uh, uh, allowed to open until noon. So actually, the, the right time to go there would be Sunday morning. So the, in the night from Saturday to Sunday, but Sunday morning around 4 or five o'clock because before it was only like suit and tie and it was also really hard to get in if you were not wearing suit and tie but of course if the if the door staff would know you then um yeah they would let you in then from four or five there was like a complete change of the audience and then like all the people in those uh funny clothes started started to arrive you know and then it was completely changing again and like from let's say the people that were working in all the bars and in the nightlife and of course people from from other jobs you know like nightlife related from the red light district or whatever uh, um, they were all going there after their work finished so you had like a really interesting mix of people from all different kinds of social levels, which I think anyway is always the best for a good party in the end, you know? And what kind of music would they play at the after hours? Was it still like pretty pumping or it was, trippy? It was not <laughs> trip. Okay, trippy in a different way. It, it was the music at that time basically in Frankfurt was trance, you know, more or less. We're talking about like IQ hard house these kind of labels you know a lot of german productions tempo wise very fast all above 130 100 so you'd be going there to dance not to kind of like uh well i mean okay it was away. it was a bit dreamy floaty also sound wise but this was then more like coming from the melodies or from the stuff going on around the beats but all the beats were pretty full on progressive forward banging beats i would say yeah and do you think uh i don't know is there any club that you've been to since or that is around today that reminds you of dorian gray like does anything come close to that kind of maybe from let's say from the first 
time when I started going to Ibiza, which was in 95. I went there in the first for the first time in 95. Some of those clubs there, maybe let's say a club like Pasha, they reminded me of these kind of clubs like the Dorian Gray, like a proper, proper nightclub. I think it was also partly built by, or some part of the sound system was also built by Steve Dash, which, as I know, was also building the sound for I think Studio 54 and so coming from this really like proper old school of of clubbing or going out yeah I think it's it's a different approach and I just what really still is in my memory is that both clubs because you had two or even three clubs inside the Dorian Gray like three different floors but I re remember the first time entering the the main room the big so-called big club um which which was uh, located on the right side in the very ending of the in the very end of the of the club it was sounding so perfect and and so amazing I, I i still have this memory in my mind that it's like it's yeah i i hardly heard anything again in my life after that apart from maybe a handful of clubs worldwide that ever came close to to this sound in the very beginning then over the years it was changing because then they were sometimes they were using different mixers sometimes they were using using different uh, record players because at that time also the the standard record players in that club they were the torrents and not the technics and they had like a little knob they didn't have a pitch they have like a little knob where you turn and there you change the speed so you don't have like a pitch on the side but it's just like a little like a little knob that you turn just a bit so it's very very it takes a lot of uh, a lot of feeling yeah to to really make them work and 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 to to cue the tempo in the in the same tempo but then once they were running they were quite stable you know and also they were not standing solid they were hanging, so they were very, very sensible to any touching or nothing because sometimes you know when you're mixing a record or something and it's only like a tiny, tiny bit off, off beat and then you just do a, a little turn with your hand and stuff like this. This could be, this could be quite hard sometimes yeah, to do this because one wrong move and the needle was just flying off, you know. Or you touch it with your knees because some of the DJs, they were sitting, which I was never able to do. I could never sit while I was playing. But some of the like the older guys at that time, they were like only sitting and DJing while they were sitting. And then also one wrong movement with your knee and you touch it like because it was hanging, as I said, but they were they were open from from the bottom. And so you could easily touch the hanging the hanging record player with your knee, you know. So that was also another thing. Music stops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the needle just flies completely off until the very end of the record in the middle of the track, which is quite annoying at that volume, you know. So I witnessed a couple of those from different people. So I was always like super aware of never touching those record players in, in the wrong way. Yeah. Well, now I guess uh, it's a good habit, I guess. No, maybe you're also really careful around techniques when you play. I am. Too. Yeah, I am, definitely. But I mean, with the techniques, it's like after a while you get so used to them, so you really know like every every inch of the scale. Nowadays, more or less, it's, it really depends on the monitoring, how my set goes, you know, because all the rest is just like, okay, you know, Okay, now it sounds like this. I just need to pull it a little bit more down and I'll be fine for the next couple of bars. Or I I, I lower the speed a bit, then it's going to click in and, and then I'll be fine. You know, and most of the times I try not to touch the record at all if it's possible, you know, and just do everything with the pitch, more or less. So when did you get uh, turntables? Turntables I got in... 1992 yeah so were you in high school then or had finished what's uh, i was about to finish high school yeah i i finished also high school in when i was 18 or 19 to 
be honest. And in 92, yeah, so I was 18. 18, I think. And I think I remember you telling me that you've just had music jobs. Is that right? Yeah, more or less. I mean, okay, before I was working also in a... My first job was when I was 16. I was working like in some department store for sports clothes. And besides that... um. More or less, most of my jobs were always music related. The first one was in this in this record shop that I mentioned before, which was called Air Embargo in the Dorian Gray. Then afterwards, I was working for several record jobs in uh, record shops in uh, in uh, Frankfurt. Of one more fame, a bit more famous one was called Boy Records, because also some some people that later worked in Delirium or that were running other shops. Uh, or, or one of the founders from Neuton Distribution, all of these guys were working at Boy Records at some point. Later, in 2001, I started working at Freebase Records, where then I worked for seven years, almost, until 2008. And I was working at Freebase Records. I see. So going back to this time, like in the early 90s, I think I remember reading, I can't remember where, maybe it was the Robert Johnson book, but it was talking about how if you weren't like a big DJ, it was hard to get records. Is this true? Like, uh... It is true until, I think, until um, until the first record shops, uh, uh, or I mean the very first one, which was not even my period, but of course I still remember it from, from, from seeing it and, and, and also from hearing stories about this. It was called City Beat Records, I think, and it was or City Records or something. It was located in the in the train station, and it was run by Tala, this guy, that was founder of the techno club, and they started bringing the first imports or import records to Frankfurt, which was at that time stuff like uh, coming uh, um, like all this uh, music from from Belgium like Nitzer app and front 242 and this EBM music yeah. like the first blueprint of electronic music and you, it was quite popular this was even a bit before the actual techno kicked off and you had bands like Pile or, or Bigot 20 where Zip also was a part of, uh, releasing on labels from this guy called Tala. They were already making music and doing stuff around this time. But this was a bit ahead of my time, maybe like two or three years. And some of the guys uh, like like uh, Ricardo or Zip, uh, uh, they, they um, witnessed this uh, this period. Ricardo was also playing at that time, some others as well. But then me, I started a bit later around 92. So I didn't I didn't experience this period so much. Straight into house and techno. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> nice. Pretty much. So how did you get the job at Freebase? How did this happen? At Freebase, they knew me. And in, in the beginning, they were joking all the time and said, hey, man, you can't work for us because you are our best customer, you know. So how, 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 can, how, how can our best customer uh, uh, work for us and this and that? But then, of course, they knew that, um, that I was a reliable person and uh, that I, I like music a lot and I also know a lot. And, uh, yeah, so then they decided to give me this job and... At the same time, I also started working for Raw Music, which was existing for almost three years at that time. One of the owners from from Freebase, his name is uh, Olaf, Olaf Zern. Uh, he was also one of the two founders from Raw Music and uh, his partner had left him. And uh, so he asked me if I want to first work for him and then after a couple of months, he asked me if I want to become his partner, like taking care over the A&R part because I was a DJ. I had a lot of knowledge about music in general. And so if I wanted to take over this part and become his partner for the label, which I did and uh, which I am still today. And it's still the two of us running this uh, label. We are nearly our 100th release which will happen beginning of next year. Unfortunately, my partner will leave me 
because he just does not have the time anymore because he's very busy with his other daytime job. And uh, so I think this will be like the last year where we will do it together because we said until catalog number 100, we will do it together and then he will step out from it, I think. Yeah. That's the idea at the moment. I see. Mm. And you had released on Realm before uh, working there, right? I Is started that... working for it and then he was kind of like encouraging me because of course I was not like okay I'm the A&R now so first thing we do is uh, we, we do a release of myself <laughs> this would have been a bit the, the wrong approach I guess but but um, yeah so uh, he was encouraging me and at that time I was already like doing my first experiments like working on some tracks with other fr with my friends and stuff because at that time I didn't have any knowledge about how to make a track or how to use uh, any computer or, or sequencer or, or any any drum machine or whatever and so over the years I was in the very beginning always like doing music only with friends and then later on uh, uh, I also decided to to get my own equipment and to do like a small setup at home where I can also work on stuff myself and then uh, uh, besides that to work in projects with other friends that have much better and more professional studios than myself and then just do my stuff at home and the other stuff just use the studios of the friends. Yeah. So how much were you DJing in Frankfurt in the 90s, like before Freebase? <sighs> Long time. Were you a, like a, one of the main local DJs? Well, one of the main in the beginning, maybe not. But then after after nearly 10 years of constant work, I think I could say that I was one of the main Frankfurt DJs. Yeah. And were you playing a lot of this? Because the 90s was also pretty good for music in Frankfurt, right? Like yeah. Playhouse, yeah, Perlon. Yeah, exactly. Was Were you playing a lot of this stuff? Were people in Frankfurt excited by this this wave of Frankfurt music? Because looking back, it seems like it was really big, but I wonder if at the time it felt like something big or... Um, well, for us, it was just like the new release from, from a local label, of which, of course, some of the stuff I like, not everything was my cup of tea, but of course, I was always checking the records and at least um, from, from Playhouse. Anyway, I got uh, uh, promos most of the time because I had a, a friend working there at that time or we got them from freebase as well heiko always brought like a couple of uh, spare copies from the latest releases so i was always pretty much up to date with with those records perlon not so much but perlon i also i bought them or perlon was in the same distribution like raum was in the very beginning which was called neutone and so, uh, of course, we would always get the, the releases from Perlon as well or from other uh, local labels because a lot of really nice stuff was coming, was coming from, from the Frankfurt area already at that time. All this stuff from Sea Rock, for example, or other artists as well. Yeah, so there's some labels back then that uh, people might not know about that you think are really good. Do you know any off the top of your head that are worth checking? Well, that aren't as hyped as yeah. For I mean, they, maybe not so much, but there were other labels like this label called Research that had a few like this famous uh, release by Ricardo Bosch or MDMA, yeah. and there was another one with a Ricardo remix. There was a Low Soul record, I think there as well. A uh, Low Soul record as well, but under a different name, maybe Don Disco. Another C-Rock record, as I remember, then some of the Stir 15 stuff, the old stuff on, on C-Rock's label or from his Dubstar project. Um, so there's quite a few things. Yeah, I there's think. lots to dig into. That exactly, from, from, this, from this period. Yeah, plus a lot of the old Playhouse stuff, Klang, Ongaku, which are all labels that have been related to to this group of of friends that was running playhouse and klang and ongaku at that time which was basically atta heiko roman flügel and jörn elling wutke the guy from alter ego it was these four guys running those labels that i just mentioned 
And I guess you knew most of these guys from working at Freebase also. Uh, I guess you saw them pretty often. More or less, yes. I mean, not that they were like super close friends, but over the years, I got to know them better. And then, yeah, after a while, uh, uh, yeah, after a while, yes. In the beginning, not so much. I was definitely more connected to the to the Freebase crew in the beginning and more hanging out with them because Carsten was like a close friend of mine and we've also been DJing together a it's lot. It's Carsten Meat. Exactly. And Chris Wood is... Chris, Chris Wood, last name. yeah, uh, Holtz, yeah. which which means wood <laughs> in German. So 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 he called he he decided to call himself Chris Wood. Yeah. If you've been working at a record shop from '92 to the 2000s, you would have seen a lot of changes. Yeah, changes in music, first of all, because of course in the beginning it was very hard. Like in '92 when I started in this in this uh, shop in Dorian Gray Club. It was pretty full on techno, like even hardcore, hardcore, partly GABA, you know, because the guys that were running this shop, they were a part of this crew called PCP, Planet Core Productions. And their main producer was Mark Trauner, called The Mover, which at that time was quite established as a producer. I mean, he had, la- he had releases on RNS and a lot of other labels and uh, he was a very talented producer or still is but then he decided to to go another go into another direction musically and he still is producing a lot of this hardcore and gaba stuff but he also did a lot of commercial productions even releasing a track believe it or not with scooter so yeah uh, and he was the first one ever to give me a pile of records and say like, hey, these are your first records. Gave me like 30 or 40 records coming all from their distribution because they were all already also doing a distribution at that time. And uh, so he said like, yeah, this is your first records and now you are a DJ and from here you can, you can start collecting. I mean, I was buying records before, but other stuff, but these were like my first 30 or 40 records of electronic club music or of electronic music in general and uh, besides hip-hop which which i was buying before which is also electronic music in some way but for me i never referred to hip-hop as electronic music even though it is you know but for me electronic music when i say this then it starts like with house and techno and and rave and going to clubs and stuff like that and were you traveling outside frankfurt much uh, you mean as a DJ or, yeah, as, was, or as a raver? Well, both, I guess. Like, did you see? <laughs> as, what, as a DJ, yeah. of course, in the beginning, not so much. I mean, still, I was lucky because working at record shops was helping quite well at that time. So every now and then, when people from other cities were coming, and they liked my choice of records or what I gave them, every now and then, someone was like, "Hey, I like the stuff that that you give me. I think you're a nice chap." and uh, do you want to play in at my party? So already after a couple of months, I got my first gig in Switzerland, for example. Not bad to to play in to play in in Basel, uh, for example. Uh, so that was helping a bit. Besides that, yes, as a raver and clubber myself, I was traveling a lot at that time. At least from the early nineties, at least for ten years even a bit longer. I was going, I was, I mean, I mentioned before in 95, I was going to Ibiza for the first time. Besides that, I went to Amsterdam many, many times because I had a close friend living in Amsterdam. So I witnessed a really nice part of of the Amsterdam clubbing culture as well, of which until now, one club called Roxy is, I think, one of my top three top five clubbing experiences ever. It was an old cinema in the center of Amsterdam. And I don't know, I heard it was like also the favorite club of Madonna, for example. So when she went out in Amsterdam, she always used to go there. And it was an amazing location, really, really nice sound system. And I still remember until today that Dimitri, not Dimitri from Amsterdam, but this guy called Dimitri Kneppers, that is still DJing. Nowadays, I witnessed a couple of sets from him there, and I have to say, until today, it's some of the best DJ sets I ever heard or witnessed in person. 
definitely my top five DJ experience ever until now. I would say what I witnessed in that club, in that particular club. Besides that, I was going to Belgium and uh, traveling to Berlin for the Love Parade, 92, 93, 95, yeah, all these kind of things. So how would it work? Would you go to, a, would you catch the train to a party? Oh, it was pretty, it was pretty, they made it even more easy for us because, for example, uh, the first time I went to the Love Parade, it was a cooperation with the, with the Deutsche Bahn, with the German train company. And um, they were offering, they were offering like this, this train going to, to Berlin. And it was a train from Frankfurt going to Berlin with Sven playing on the train. And I think DJ Duck and a few other DJs as well. And you could get like a combi ticket and you just had to get like on the train, have like a full on party until your arrival in Berlin. Then you would have your pre-booked hotel that was already included in the in the package, you know. And then you just had to attend the parade, attend some of the parties and then just make sure you're back you're back on time to go to catch your train back to Frankfurt. So a lot of things at this, I mean, it was very popular. You have to imagine they even, I mean, this I didn't do, but they were offering the same thing with a plane, with a boat, with pretty much everything at that time. There was Raven Cruise, which was with the boat. It was organized by Die Partisanen, which is this, this, uh, this brand or this company originally hailing from Munich. I think now they're also based here in Berlin and they still do stuff like tie break, for example, things like this. Or they also brought brought to us Rave on Snow or stuff like that. <laughs> and then also there was like the Camel Air Rave at that time and then it would be like the same concept but with a plane, you know? So you would get like these full-on careless packages <laughs> You don't have to worry about anything, packages, and just pay a certain amount of money, and then they would, they would take you there. Yeah, but with Ibiza, for example, when I when I went for the first time in '95, I just went with a friend. He knew about Ibiza, and he was also like my my mentor, DJ wise at that time. And so he said, "Hey, you know, uh, I think we should go there. We should check it out." And then we just bought like plane tickets and went there and we we asked some some friends if we can stay with them or we, we rented like a cheap hotel in the beginning and um, yeah and how does you play in Ibiza now pretty often so how does since 10 yeah. years now I'm since 10 years more than 10 years 11 years now uh, my first DJ gig in Ibiza professionally where I was going just to play was in 2005 was on the terrace of Amnesia for Cocoon, uh, where I'm still a resident. And this year I'm playing even four times in total Yeah, for Cocoon at Amnesia. Yeah. So playing Ibiza, is it different to playing in Europe? Like, do you have to, do people want big sounds and... Um, I don't know, how is it going from Frankfurt? Yes, yes. I mean, when I went for the first time, Again, this was really like a, a turning point in my in my DJ career also and uh, also for my perception of music because until that time I came more from like a from like a techno background. I mean in the beginning as I told you was like pretty full on techno, even like hardcore in some way, then changing a bit into this trancey kind of sound which was very popular at that time in Frankfurt like the other stuff that I mentioned before like IQ Hardhouse all these kind of like very trancey and melodic and emotionally big sounding records and then going to Ibiza in 95 I discovered something else <laughs> namely house music you know which was not so popular at in Frankfurt at that time and uh, of course then when this club that I mentioned before called the XS started inviting other DJs all of a sudden you would see like hey wow there's also something else there was like all of a sudden like the Merc boys playing or Laurent Gagné or Carl Cox or Andrew Weatherall all these kind of DJs you would find on a on a Wednesday night playing in Frankfurt yeah 
which was working pretty good because some of these nights you had like 1,000 people coming to this club, you know, just to see, for example, Laurent Garnier playing, you know. I remember the first time when he came, there was like maybe 200 people, it was not so packed. Next time he came, there was a queue outside the club. You cannot imagine it was maybe in the turnover, like 1,000 people attending this club on a Wednesday night, yeah, just to come, that just all came to hear him play. Uh, and so this was a good school for myself because at that time I was going out every possible occasion and of course to check out all these DJs that some of them I heard about it some of them I got recommended by friends or I knew some of their productions and all of a sudden you have the possibility to go there and see them in person and, and listen to them uh, which was great you know and I'm I'm really happy that a lot of people that I really liked or that I discovered or their productions, uh, uh, I was able to witness them or to, to hear them in person in, in a club. It's it's hard to imagine. Uh, well, I guess the scene is very different now. You can't imagine those kind of DJs drawing those kind of crowds now. Like, I wonder what changed. Like, maybe festival, all these kids are going to festivals now. Like... Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm, I mean it depends the heavyweights will always be the heavyweights you know but still there are a lot of DJs from that time that actually yeah that actually are either maybe a bit out of fashion or I think they also um they lost a bit to the connection of of what is currently happening you know in in electronic music I think and I mean, it's hard, you know, also in some way when you're traveling like every week and every weekend and you've got all the routine and you are a big name. And um, of course, people get lazy at some point. I mean, not lazy, but they get used to to a certain routines, I think. And so then maybe they think it's not so important anymore that they buy the music themselves, then <laughs> which... <laughs> Which you can see then as a, if you're running a label and you get these nice feedback sheets, you know, like downloaded for, I won't mention any name, but I mean, what's that? Downloaded for and then the name of the DJ, meaning like the DJ is not even able to download his own music anymore or what's the what's the point of this, you know? Um, but okay, that's uh, something everything, everyone has to decide for himself. But I think it's really, really important if you want to be on top of your game to at least find three to five records. I'm just mentioning a number now. Of course, it can be more, but sometimes there is not more than three to five good records in one week. But at least you should discover three to five records every week. If you can find more, of course, you can find more. But after a certain time... And with a certain experience, I doubt that you will really find more than 10 to maximum 15 records that are really, really, really exceptional and very good. Um, so always try to find something just for the fact to be able to excite yourself. Because only if you can excite yourself and keep it interesting for yourself, you will be able to do this for others as well, I think. So have your record buying habits changed as you get more experience as a DJ? Yes. Like now you say it's harder to find. Yes, definitely. I mean, if if you work in a record shop for more than 10 years, which I did, and then I'm running a label and then I'm a DJ myself now since 24 years. So imagine of imagine the amount of records and stuff that I was listening to over the last years. And uh, still, besides that, I get stuff for the label to listen to. I get stuff from all my friends that are producing because they want like a feedback or they want me to have the stuff or they want me to play it. Plus all the promos that I get for myself being a DJ from related artists, related labels, other labels that also want me particularly to play their tracks or to have their tracks. So that's quite an amount of stuff that I need to listen every week. And besides that, I'm still more or less every week checking the lists of hardwax, checking the lists of rush hour, 
other record shops as well just to get an idea what's there and then in case there is something that i see i will go online or i go to one of the record shops here in berlin that i'm you that i'm visiting frequently like space hall or hardwax and uh, then i try to find it there so what does a track these days need to have to get your attention like is it like a weird little melody or like nice drums or it's, a combination of things i wouldn't i wouldn't nail it down on particularly on a particular element inside the track it's more about the feeling of the track it's more about the feeling of the track and if i have the impression okay i mean there are some stuff that you really just buy for playing uh, which i would consider as as your tools you know like you're a craftsman and you need certain you need certain tools you know of course these are records that can play maybe for a shorter period of time yeah or maybe only for one season or for a couple of months yeah but of course the goal should always be that they are as timeless or as out of fashion as possible so you can play them in a couple of still play them in a couple of years and not like when the fashion's over or the sound of the moment has changed to to the next big thing you know <laughs> then uh, you can take all your records and just uh, throw them in the in the gutter basically <laughs> so, i guess you've seen a lot of trends come and go yeah as- and and always something where i'm referring to uh when people ask me about this is like and I think it's pretty true. Uh, I don't know if, if if one has read the book by by Laurent Gagnier called Electroshock. And there's he, he, he's, he's referring to a quote by Jeff Mills or there's an actual quote by Jeff Mills inside the book. I cannot remember quite, quite precisely, to be honest. But he's saying that everything is coming in circles. Why there's always, there's also a record by Jeff Mills that it's called Cycle 30. And everything is coming in, um, not circles, in cycles, cycles, meaning that it's just like a wheel rotating with the, with a certain amount of time. So at some point, disco will be super hot. The next, the year after, everybody will be so tired of disco that then it's, uh, everybody wants something reduced and nobody wants to listen to melodies and funky beats anymore. Then it will be minimal. Then after minimal, minimal, everybody will discover again that it's really nice to have some vocals and something super warm sounding. So then there's the huge house revival <laughs> that we have also been witnessing a couple of years ago. Yeah. And then, after the house revival, everybody is back into really dark sounding drone techno, you know, and, and it's always these cycles and they just keep on repeating, you know, over and over again, because nobody will come up with something completely new. Nowadays, it's just like about combining certain elements from different music directions and just make them sound fresh and make them sound 2016 and... And that's it, I think. Do you still see DJs and people making music that don't get caught up in trends? Well, apart from the ones that I've been following for many, many years and where I have a lot of records of that always have been doing their thing, more or less, which is also the reason why I follow these artists, I think a lot of people get caught up too much in trends and and also it's ridiculous you know i mean of course you have to go with certain movements or with certain developments otherwise you 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 would make something wrong you know but i think it's also good to to try to stick to your own sound in case you have your own sound which i think is the most important thing as a dj to find your own sound otherwise you will always be just like a copycat you know of something and especially um what i don't like at all is like these people that told you like five years ago that minimal is super cool and that's the really big thing and two years later they tell you the same thing about house music and that they always have been deep house heads from the core of their heart you know and then now like now they tell you like that this dark 
banging, crafty, reduced sound that maybe you would find in Berghind, that this is really like the stuff that they dig, then I think it's a bit too much, at least for someone with my experience and with my perception of of music over all those years. Because it's a funny thing, like when you're younger, you read in interviews or you hear people talking, saying, like, you hear people say things like, oh, yeah, it's just hype, like, uh, this DJ, this person is just following hype. And when you're younger and haven't seen these cycles, it just seems like this thing that people just say when they want to complain. <laughs> but once you've been around for a little while, yeah, it's a real thing. These uh, me, these, these trends. For and- me, it was exactly the same. I was also I was also like like thinking, ah, I don't understand this so much with the cycles and this and that. But now with a bit more age and a bit more of experience and like really like watching the development from the early 90s until now which is like 24 years i have to say it's 100 true and jeff mills knew exactly what he was talking about and laurent garnier as well and this is pretty much the reason why he was referring with this quote inside his book you know and so i think these guys they they know what they are talking about because they are even older than me. They are even maybe a bit more wiser and experienced than me. So I think that's pretty much the deal. Huh? And they pretty much nailed it down with this with these quotes. So what trend do you hope come next? Comes At the moment, we have breaks. What, what <laughs> yeah, are you... Breaky, breaky, <laughs> uh, uh, experimental, not straight, not dance floor aiming, and I don't know. What's next? Loopy house? <laughs> That would be good for Realm. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) No, I think at the moment I'm on the exactly on the on the on the other side of the hype, like super out of fashion. But um, yeah, I don't mind. I just really try to to do what I feel and to do what I like, and still try to to be a bit different than from what other what most of the others are doing, and uh, I think. It's okay because the label is still alive. We are doing quite well still after all those years with nearly 100 releases. So, yeah, I think we're doing something right. That's the thing. What other labels, uh, what German labels in this kind of scene or whatever you want to call it, this kind of area, were around when Realm started? And from, the go- and that are still from, going now. from the ones Pearl that Long? are still active, yeah. the only one that I can think of... Perlon, and maybe then, I don't know about Kanzleramt, but they were off the map also for some time. I think now that Heiko started releasing again, Heiko Lauks I'm talking about, uh, I've seen some recent stuff again, and um, there are a few others, but the only one that always keeps popping straight into my head, because they started more or less around the same time, also coming from the same area, is Perlon. Yeah. Yeah. So what that makes Realm almost ten years? Is it Pearl no, is ninety seven, no. right? No, no, or no. no. Uh, Realm is now. Uh, uh, it's it was founded in nineteen ninety eight. So okay. it makes this uh, eight years, eighteen years. Oh yeah, 18. I need to go back to yeah. high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eighteen. Yeah. yeah. So that's eighteen. <laughs> but I'm running it. I'm running it since two thousand and one. I'm in charge of the A and R and everything. So. I'm running it now basically for 15 years. Mm. Yeah, 15 years. And so what's your take in this uh, this vinyl resurgence? It's funny, like, I don't know if you saw it. We just published this small interview with the Freebase guys. No, I uh, haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it just went up this morning. Anyway, we asked the same thing, like, oh, what do you think of this so-called vinyl comeback? And they said, yeah, we've kind of seen it. But it would be really nice if ever, all the DJs and producers and labels, label owners pressing vinyl would also play it. So it seems like a lot of people are actually that, like a bit annoyed is, at the that situation. Is all, nah, that is also yeah. true what they say. Okay, from one side, but I think you have to you have to divide this into several into several aspects. Uh, uh, one aspect is from the label side, it is really annoying because it takes so long at the pressing plants at the moment. It's just ridiculous. But this is not because of electronic music. This is because of rock 
and all these other genres that now have discovered after all those years of selling CDs like crazy that it's really cool to have a vinyl with that comes with a fancy cover and an inlay and a boot uh, booklet and a poster and because they can sell it for much more than than just like a piece of plastic you know like which the CD basically was so they are causing this super long waiting period for at the moment it takes like nearly three months from when you send the tracks for mastering until you receive the white label yeah how long would it used to take in the With the white yeah. label sometimes you got it after 10 days and nowadays it's like six weeks to receive the the white label and then another eight to even 10 12 weeks until you get the finished product and this is still fast some labels they wait even longer so imagine the amount of time that you would need to plan this in advance yeah so that is one one aspect from referring uh, from um, going back to your question the other aspect i think what carson and and chris meant with their statement is like yeah vinyl is back and and kids and or younger djs are are more keen on on buying vinyl and and rare vinyl and 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 to dig and to find special stuff but a lot of the people like i said before is they get a bit like caught up in their routine and they all run labels and a sub label for house and this and that and and another label for breaks and blah 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 but none of these guys is playing vinyl anymore they just arrive to the gig they plug in their usb they play the last uh, 25 promos that they received from their friends and and that's it and that's their dj set i think the truth lies somewhere in between as with a lot of things in life you need to have a bit of both you know not only the top 20 from your friends but also the top 20 from stuff that is currently out in the record shop so therefore i think it's really important that as much as your schedule allows it but at least like every two weeks at least you should be able to drag yourself into the record shop and uh to look for some new stuff for some exciting music and of course if you live in a bigger city like berlin i'm also aware of the fact that it's not possible to attend like three record shops in one day but then do it like weekly this is like how i'm doing it myself is like one week i'm going there another week i'm going to another shop when i'm traveling a bit more in summer then maybe it can also be two or three weeks where i can't make it but then again i make sure that i'm visiting the two record shops where i'm going frequently here in berlin or three record shops that I'm so you're still finding lots of new music to buy as i said before mm. it depends of the week mm. to be honest i'm here at space hall in berlin um i was i was quite happy all the last times that i went there i found a lot and sometimes was even more that i actually wanted to take you know or that i was able to take in the very end you know because i said mm, that's a bit already like over the budget you know mm, okay well then okay these two maybe i don't need them so much but then i take the other 10 you know but uh, and sometimes at hardwax also but hardwax is their selection is already quite tight so from their selection, I, I just find a few that I can use. Hardwax, from my perception, is more like really special stuff, stuff for listening. But to me, to play in the club, there is not so much. But still, I think it's one of the best record shops here in Berlin by far, you know, together it, with Space Hall, maybe. It's interesting because with this new uh, Discogs hype, it seems like there's a lot of people not playing so much new music. Yeah, this is also <laughs> this is also this also became a fashion. But then I really have to question what's the point? What's what's the purpose of this? Yeah, it's cool, but in the end you're just repeating history, something that has been done already, something that has been said already and from my perception then you are also an oldie DJ in some way, you know, like like uh, then you are like a foxtrot dj or like a rock dj or something like this like totally caught in his in his niche and only uh repeating over and over and over of course there's lots of stuff to discover and some crazy b-sides and this and that but i think it's always an aspect of techno or of electronic music has been 
to find new stuff and to deliver new stuff and so also there like i said before a bit of both world you know when, when do you think the shift uh, happened because now it seems like if you go see lots of djs from your kind of world mm. It's 80% old mute, like yeah, it has gone, it, yeah, it has gone a bit out of hand because um, some of these DJs they just took it to another level with with digging. How special can you be? You know, it's like it's not about being special; it's just about doing what you feel and do this with a lot of passion, and it, then it comes from from the heart and not for a certain purpose or to fulfill any ideology or or certain. Yeah, or, or just a certain fashion, you know. It's like if you have a certain taste, yeah, you will not play any shitty music. And so what's the point of like knowing everything from all the labels from A to B and C? And, and then at some point it's like, okay, guys, uh, uh, what are you going to discover? You know, then, then this is not like statistics. Buying record is not like like doing statistics, you know. This is like this is like a math approach in some way, a bit, you know. Like this, oh yeah, I know the complete back catalog from this label and from this artist. I know every track, and yeah, it's cool, but uh, it's good to know. And knowledge is always important, you know. But at some point, um, you're making the whole thing a bit hard for yourself, I think. And I remember in the past. It always was like this, that to discover certain records, you would need years before or before all this, this world of instant information with Google and with DJ lists and with certain forums, like totally analyzing every set that you can find from every like top notch DJ in the Internet, let's say Zip, Ricardo, blah, 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 blah. And then it's ridiculous. It even happens with my own sets. You know, I post a new set online then I go a couple of weeks later or I do a podcast and then I see this forum and and there's like some geeks at home like analyzing trying to find out every single track from the set you know i mean what's your approach i don't have any problem with sharing my my information and whenever someone comes and steps up to me and asks me like hey what's this track that's playing he will receive the information but i think the big big turning point of all this thing was the internet and just the sudden and and direct access to all this information with one mouse click you know you listen to a set you you <laughs> or you find a video on youtube then one one guy is like putting under it track id two minutes later the next guy tells him what it is and an hour later he's in the record shop already buying the record or ordering it online somewhere well and that's it, the sad thing is it's not yeah. new it's most of the time old music it would be really cool if it was new tracks getting id'd and helping the labels out. Exactly. But of course, everybody just focusing on, on these things. To be honest, I also, I mean, not like 300, but I also paid even up to 80, 90, 100 euros. But that's like the maximum, maximum of what I, was, I would ever spend on music. And I have to say, nowadays, from my point of view, I'm not willing to spend this amount of money anymore on any record. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's just a fashion price of the moment because certain people are playing this record or because some people were clever enough to buy all the records or all the releases that have been listed on Discogs and then they make their business out of this. You know, they, they wait until the record gets in fashion, until some crazy fantasy prizes start coming up and then they will sell these records, you know, and... Um, I think this is totally ridiculous to spend 300 euros or 250 euros on one record, no matter what it is. When you can go to a record shop with the same amount of money and you can go home with maybe 10 old records and 15 new records, then what's the point of spending this amount of money on one record? It's absolutely no point. It's just a cry for attention, nothing else. Do you think it's easier to be a DJ these days like with the internet and with cdjs like it's, going back to the it's, yeah. <laughs> it's very easy to 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 being able to call yourself a dj i think but 
to really make your living from it and, and to establish yourself in this scene, it's very, very hard. If you are not part of one crew or one group or if you are an outstanding producer where people will automatically be linked to your person or to you as a DJ by your productions, it's nearly impossible without productions. Nearly. This is two handful of DJs that, that were capable of doing this yeah, by other things, like we just said, by excessive digging and, and also like creating their own sound and moment in, in a special way. But Besides that, I think it's nearly impossible. I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah, be negative. Yeah, be negative or, or scare young people. You know, I mean, if you want to do it and if you really like it, just do it. You know, don't don't think too much about it. Just follow follow the music, buy music, buy records. First of all, and most important, as I said before already, is try to find your own sound. And anyway, if you want to do it the right way. This will take you at least 10 years. At least. Some maybe a bit faster, but that's the minimum amount, I think. Like six to eight years until you can you can say, okay, I know exactly what I want and, and I want to play it like this and this, this is me and this is my sound. Uh, 10 years into a DJ career, you've already you've known how to beat match for a long time. Like, what do you think, what does the experience teach you? Like... How do you go from being okay to professional standard? In the end, even more experience because the more situations you will find yourself in, you will discover the variety of situations that you can be in. And then it's just like, okay, this is a situation like this. I have to do this now. And and, and just like to, to be able to analyze the situation and to analyze also the solution to the problem or to think of the solution to the problem. I mean, not problem, but to the situation. Yeah? But with many, many situations or different situations, there are always different problems connected to it, you know, like in terms of the sound, in terms of the surrounding, in, in terms of the set time, in terms of the situation on the dance floor. There's so many tiny little aspects that can influence a DJ set, I think. So how many gigs for you now will be will go smoothly? Where you look back and say there were no problems, like I was able to just play my set and went well? Unfortunately, not too many. Again, it just happened to me last weekend, um, and it's very frustrating, but I still I still do it. Is I take one or sometimes even two days or afternoons where I completely just go through my sh shelves, try to dig, to, to, to dig out some other stuff or to pull out some other stuff from my collection, trying to create like a nice set. So then I invest some time. I arrive to the club and then I see, okay, it's not, a, it's not possible to, to play any vinyl. So let's say from 10 times, five or six times, I can only play from the stick or from CD, which then is really frustrating because I'm playing from stick or CD a lot. But to be honest, and this is a message to all the club owners, <laughs> the situation in the club doesn't does not allow it to play vinyl and digital on an equal level. And many, many times you are forced as a DJ just to play from your CD and USB or hard drive again because the vinyl setup is shit and it doesn't allow you to play one record without any feedback, jumping off the needle, etc. etc. So when you're preparing for two afternoons, mm. like Vera said the same thing, that she's also spending like a long time preparing. Mm. Are you pulling out records and thinking what fits together? It's like about what, what takes it's, so it's long. A, yeah, no, it's about first. Uh, yeah, Vera, Vera and me. I think we have the same approach somehow. You know, um, I think what she does the same is like we first of all we think, okay, what what's the situation where I'm playing in? Because many many times you know already. Okay, sometimes you don't know anything, so then you have to pre 
be prepared even a bit better but okay you will know okay this is this and this kind of party i'm playing at this and this time so okay i'm playing more in the peak time so of course i need more stuff that is driving a bit banging not too deep not too special just like that kids gets the people going on the on the dance floor also with a certain size of the club and then there are some other parties where you know that you will have a very good crowd people are open-minded they you are playing because it's you playing and you people want you to play the stuff that you play you have like an idea in your mind a concept of a certain sound and then you try to pull out new stuff old stuff unreleased stuff but all referring to this concept or idea of a certain sound you want to play for this party. I think that's that's the approach. <laughs> 